Today's scripture comes from Book of Luke, chapter 18, 35 to 43. You can follow along on your phones or on the screen above. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. This word of God. Good to see all of you here at 1030 Hackensack, and I'm glad that we're seeing some old faces uh, who are visiting and some new faces uh, who are here, and I know that familiar faces, a lot of them are missing on a weekend like this with uh, July 4th, but I can't believe it's July 1st already today, which means we've all lived halfway throughout this year already. It's like flown by, and now that I have a kid in the school system, I understand why it's such a big deal because once the kids are out, you just have them at home all day. So the entire schedule just changes for the summer months. One of the things I like to do once it becomes July, though, is kind of like my half-year check-in with myself and God to reflect upon how I've spent six months, what God has been doing in my life, and what, what should I be looking forward to for the next six months? And as I was praying, as, as I was reflecting, uh, I was thinking a lot about our overseas mission trips, especially our Thailand team. I know Pastor Key's been posting uh, Facebook pictures um, in Thailand, and I was there last year. I just kept finding myself thinking and praying for the women that I've met there. Uh, in Thailand, for those of you who don't know, we work with a ministry that tries to bring women out of sex trafficking, especially in Bangkok. And we have, they have a little kind of cafe house where downstairs they run it like a cafe in the second, third, fourth floor. The women who have come out of the streets live there. So every morning I remember going and worshiping, praising together, and then listening to their stories. And for some reason, as I was reflecting past six months and a year, I just kept thinking about these women that I've met last year. And I felt like God was kind of tugging, and I kind of hungered to go on missions uh, this year. I just... I have to stay put and watch two kids for more than two weeks because my wife decided to go to India this year. So please pray for me. That's 16 days of me and two kids. Um, I don't know how that'll go. But um, thinking and praying about these women in Thailand just made me think about how amazing God is, how amazing His love is, and how He moves, especially for those who are marginalized in our society, those who are pushed aside, quote-unquote, handicapped in our world and how we treat them. And in today's passage, as we read Luke 18, we will run into another story, a story that maybe some of us are familiar with, a man who is handicapped, man who is blind, and he has to beg for his, his survival in this life. 
and see what kind of lesson that God is going to teach us and how God is going to move our hearts and our lives. So I just want to invite us to bow your heads with me and let's pray as we dive into the Word of God. Lord, how amazing are you that no matter where we are in our lives, no matter how many times we turn away from you, that you call out our names, that you are there for us. How amazing are you, Lord, that no matter how far we are removed from the society, marginalized, hurt, handicapped, that, Lord, you are there for those. Lord, help us to see your heart today through this message. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Many of us, when we wake up in the morning before we go to work, we have what we call a morning routine, don't we? We wake up and we like to do things a certain way. Maybe some of you don't, but I like to wake up. First thing I like to do is brush my teeth. And then I wash my face. And then since I usually skip breakfast, I'm taking care of things at home before I head out to the office. I've spoken to many of you, and a lot of you have certain morning routines that you do every morning. For example, one of our elders in session, he's become vegan for quite a bit now. He's sitting right here in the front row, and he's eaten oatmeal for his breakfast every day. (laughs) which I just do not understand, probably speaks volumes about how boring he is. Uh, but, you know, just the fact that he can do it every day, and this is just part of routine. He says the only thing he changes sometimes is what kind of fruit he puts on or whether he puts brown sugar or honey. Um, but it's a routine that he does, and it, 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 routines make us comforted. Routines put us at ease in the things that are to come ahead in our life. Um, there's another elder in our session uh, he's big on coffee, so he preps even the night before, the weeks in advance. He prepares his coffee schedule as he prepares and makes his coffee delicately, intricately, perfectly, drip by drip. And this is something that he does every morning to start off his day or else something doesn't feel right. For me, it's not food, but for me, it's making a list. It's like kind of nerdy, but I like to make to-do lists <laughs> because I'm kind of old school or because I'm kind of inept in following along with technology. I still make these lists by hand, not on my phone. So I take a little yellow post-it. Every morning I wake up after I wash up, first thing I do is I list of the things that I need to do. Prioritize. Three stars means I have to do it today. Two stars, maybe today. One star, I can push it till tomorrow. And I just make lists, and I, I, I crunch it up, and it's like in my pocket all day. All day, I'm taking it out, putting it back in. And the, the joy for me of following this routine is, of course, not just doing the things, but when you do it and you get to cross it off with the pen, it just feels so good. It's very different than on the phone where you click a button, you say complete it, or you just delete it, press a delete. There's something about, for me at least, taking a pen out, taking this piece of paper out, and when none of my pastoral staff's looking because they make fun of me all the time, crossing it out one by one, just feeling so good about it, the satisfaction that I get from this daily routine that I go through. So I am a man who likes to plan out my life, whether it's the day or week or just years in advance, my life journey. And therefore, for some people like me, we really, really don't like interruptions in our lives. 
I don't like interruptions because it slows me down from checking off that list. Like the other day, I was ready to go out, you know, out my door and go to my counseling session, and I had to be 10 minutes late because Noelle, my three-year-old daughter, all of a sudden just spilled juice all over the couch. And my wife's busy doing something, and I have to clean it. And now I look at the clock, and I'm like 10 minutes late, right? The other day, I get a text message when I woke up. I checked, and please, Pastor John, can you call me? It's urgent. I call. It's a counseling phone call. Now I'm 45 minutes late to to do the things that I need to do in the day. But there are certain interruptions like that I don't really mind. I just accepted it, part of my life, part of the vocation, part of calling. But there are interruptions that I don't like. And on top of that list of the interruptions that I do not like in my life are pointless, long traffic that I did not expect, which happens too often here in Bergen County, far less often now that I moved here to the kind of northwest of Bergen rather than Edgewater. Edgewater was like every day, so I've got used to it. But... You know, the, 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 the interruptions that are just part of this daily life, perhaps in Bergen County, but just traffic just makes me go insane, especially traffic. I know it's not the worker's fault. It's scheduled in and they have to do the work. So I'm not angry at them. I'm just angry at the fact that I'm just stuck for the 10, 15 minutes doing nothing. <laughs> I'm just stuck here just driving. And I don't understand sometimes why they have to do it during the busy hours of going to work and coming back. Those make me a little bit more insane. Um, It probably just speaks more volumes about, you know, my anger issues and frustration issues. But those interruptions really drive me nuts. But the fact is, we all have interruptions in our life. It's part of our daily routine, and we cannot avoid it, and we have no power over it. Interruptions are just a normal part of life. It's how we respond to them that actually makes the difference. And sometimes interruptions come into our lives for good reason. To force us to pause and think, to sometimes make us go on detour to protect us from harm, remind us that we are not fully in control of our lives, and sometimes even to pause and converse with God and listen to God. In today's passage, there are two interruptions among two characters. In Luke 18, we see a blind beggar, a man who is blind, therefore he cannot make a living, so he begs every day. And for him, this interruption comes surprisingly through Jesus, who happens, just by chance, happens to walk and journey through his town, Jericho. And on the flip side, Jesus' life, his journey, is also interrupted by this blind beggar as he comes before him and holds on to him and asks for healing. This story of the blind beggar comes up in uh, different Gospels. And in fact, out of the four Gospels, this story of the blind beggar comes up three times. We read Luke's version here in chapter 18. But I like to also add in Mark 10, the same story comes up of a blind beggar. But in Mark 10, what we find out is his name and what family he's from. His name is Bartimaeus, which means the son of Timaeus. So for short, we'll just call him Blind Bart for the sake of today's sermon. Blind Bart is interrupted by Jesus' presence. 
He didn't ask for Jesus. He didn't go look for Jesus. In fact, he didn't really even know who Jesus was. But in the crowd, he begins to hear this murmur that a man named Jesus, perhaps the Messiah, perhaps the son of David, he's an amazing teacher, he's walking by. And it intrigues him. And he moves. Blind Bar was a well-known person of the community. He, the people in the community in Jericho knew him as a son of the old Timaeus. For some reason, this kid who used to be able to see became blind one day. And now every morning he has a routine. He wakes up, finds his stick, guiding stick, and he washes up with the help of his family members and he gets to his routine place where he goes, he sits, and he begs all day. For a man who was blind during that time, there is no law, there is no social groups, there is no political agency that helps you to find job. If you were blind, you beg like a homeless person. Even though Bart had a home and family to go back to, he had to beg for a living. So imagine you're Bart. You've become part of this community. You have a daily routine. You're at your spot begging for alms. And he has a place in society. Although he's at the bottom rung of the social ladder, people understand that he has a place, which is that he reminds all passers-by that there is an obligation to give alms and help the poor. So Bart was not only blind, he was a beggar. And as most blind people during that time, he went and he asked others to support him. But one day, during his daily routine, he starts hearing the crowds gather. And as you know, they say that people who are blind, they become much more, much more sensitive to hearing, right? Their senses change. And with his sensitive hearing, he starts hearing people murmur. And the crowd is gathering. He knows that people are getting together in large crowds. For some reason, he doesn't know. So he starts going around asking, hey, is there something going on in town that I don't know about? Somebody visiting? I hear a lot of you getting together. And he hears back from the crowd, oh yeah, there's this guy named Jesus. He's coming by. He's a great teacher. Some say he's the Messiah, the chosen one, the son of David that we've read about and heard about in synagogues. And guess what? This man, Jesus, supposedly does miracles, and he heals people. Blind Bart's ears perk up, right? He heals people? I have to go see him. So very unlikely of him, he gets up, and he moves out of his comfort zone with his guiding stick, You imagine him probably looking around, asking, and trying to find where this crowd is, where Jesus is. It says in Mark's version of the story, we see blind Bart even throw off his cloak, and he springs up to get to Jesus. He is excited by this interruption. Blind Bart gets up and tries his best to become part of the crowd, to get closer to Jesus, And this blind beggar didn't ask for Jesus to visit him. But when he hears this news of interruption, he does all that he could to get towards and get through the crowd to meet Jesus. 
But just as the same, Jesus' journey is interrupted by blind Bart. Even though blind Bart has a role in his community to remind people that they have an obligation to give alms and people have accepted him, he does not have the right to be obtrusive into others' lives. Right? He can beg, but he may not badger other people, especially a famous teacher who is desired by so many around him. After all, we tolerate the poor and the handicapped as long as they don't become too demanding. Right? We don't mind them if they're in the outskirts of our lives and they do what they're supposed to do in our society as long as they don't become too demanding. We may tolerate, for example, a beggar or two who sits at the entrance or the exit of subway stations in New York, minding his own business and asking for change. But I don't know how many of us would actually tolerate a beggar who is bumping into us, pushing through us in order to get to that politician or that musician or that athlete that we ourselves have gone to see. We would probably look at this beggar, push him aside, and say, no, me first. When I was in college for four years, I had a, a blessed, thankful opportunity for three of those four years to serve at this w- homeless, battered woman center uh, called Rosie's Place. And this place um, had an amazing philosophy about how to help and aid women, specifically only for women who are homeless and who have been physically, verbally, uh, sexually assaulted. And so it's basically a cafe. Any woman, if you're a woman, you can walk in through that door any time of the day and get a meal. Amazing. And as, as a young college student, I was just in the kitchen, and the only men that you will see are people in the kitchen who cook and people who serve the food and those uh, male therapists who work with these women. And as a young college student, I was always in the back washing dishes and, you know, cutting vegetables and messing things up in the background as a chef tells me what to do and what not to do. And I remember this one particular day, I was in the front and putting the food onto the dishes and the sandwiches that we've made. And this one woman came up and looked me straight in the eye and said, I don't want this. Okay, why are you here then? <laughs> you know, you don't want this sandwich, then you can sit down and eat dessert or soup. She said, no, I don't want turkey sandwich. I want a ham sandwich. I was thinking, you're homeless. You have no money to buy food. Like, we're feeding you for free, and I've made this food for you, turkey sandwich. You, you should be grateful and thankful, right? And the immediate thought I remember having is like, oh, you ungrateful little... And I want to, like, take the sandwich away, right? I'm like, you starved today, right? And I remember she was pounding on the front table. Who's in charge here? I want a ham sandwich. I don't like turkey sandwich. We don't tolerate that, especially those who are marginalized, especially those we think are poor, who don't necessarily deserve the best of the best, those who can't afford, those who don't have money, those who are handicapped. We tolerate them up to a certain point, but if they push and they ask for more than what we can provide or what they should have in our society, we get upset with them. And that's exactly what happens in today's story. Blind Bart is not playing his social norm role. He gets up, takes off his cloak, he takes his stick. And can you imagine trying to get to Jesus? I mean, I imagine him basically hitting people around. Oh, sorry, sorry. 
constantly asking the same question. Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? I need to see him. And while, all the while, everyone's saying, dude, I'm here to see Jesus too. You're blind. Bart, get back to your place and stay there. And people start getting upset because they don't tolerate him as long as they don't, as because Bart was becoming too demanding. Blind Bart is out of his character and out of his role. In the community, when he starts bumping into people, trying to push through to see Jesus. In Mark's version, actually, we see blind Bart even throw off his cloak, and it says he sprung up to get to Jesus. Two very uncharacteristic moves for a blind beggar. As one pastor puts it, quote, Bart does two uncharacteristic things for a blind beggar. He throws off his cloak and he springs up. Living in Africa, one doesn't have to look for poverty and begging. It is everywhere. Beggars, especially blind ones, do not throw off their cloaks and spring up. Now, not if they know their place and their craft. Beggars cower and cringe. That's their place. The fact that Mark records this unusual behavior suggests to me that the transformation of Bart has already begun. And perhaps it has. He gets up and he moves. But those around Jesus do not like this, do they? We see in verse 38, Bart called out to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. But where are you? I don't know where you are, but I'm just going to call out loud, Son of David, have mercy on me. In verse 9, it says, Those who led the way rebuked him. Those who led the way, meaning those who led the way in front of Jesus, around Jesus, his disciples, the 12 and others who have been along with Jesus, seeing the miracles that he does, the healing work that God's doing, and following after Christ and giving up all their life. And yet, they're the ones, the disciples, who do not see what is about to happen. And so they rebuke blind Bart. See this crazy blind beggar out of norm, taking off his cloak, screaming and yelling, hitting us with his stick, trying to get through the crowd. And these disciples turned to him, and it says they rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Shut up, Bart. What are you doing here? You don't even you don't belong here. Stop hitting me. Go back to your place. Someone take him to his place, his spot, where he's supposed to just beg. In Luke's version we read today, it says, Bart called out, and those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Notice how those who led the way responded to blind Bart. They are frustrated at him. They are angry at him. They rebuked him for interrupting Jesus and their journey. But you know what's amazing? Is how Bart responds. It's very unique And very special. Read along with me verse 39. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him, told him to be quiet. But in response, blind Bart shouted all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? 
Bart shouted all the more. What did he shout? I need your mercy, Lord. With all the social pressures, with all the people in his town of Jericho, all Jesus' disciples telling him, dude, you don't belong here. You don't belong here. Go over there and do what you're supposed to do. He shouts all the more. Bart can teach us a great deal about how to approach Jesus Christ and how we can relate to God. Our problem may not be physical blindness, but you and I, we have the same need as Bart asked for, the mercy of Jesus Christ. Jesus has come to heal our blindness. Blind Bart was physically blind, and we don't have a problem with physical blindness, but we all have significant problem with spiritual blindness. And this is not only true of us, but the world around us. We think to ourselves, you know what? I'm not blind. I don't have to beg for life. I have a decent job, decent family. I own a home. Yeah, we go around and ask God for little things that we want, but we think we have enough. We think I am enough. We become dependent on ourselves and not on the Lord. And therefore, spiritual blindness is a much more common and devastating illness today as it has always been. And this is something that Mother Teresa used to always teach throughout her life. Myself and so many, so many others like you are blind to the power and goodness of God's glory all around us in every moment of every day. The fact is myself So many others like you are blinded to the immense human misery that is a significant portion and part of this entire life of people living on this earth. As another pastor, Peter Woods, puts it, quote, I wonder what cloaks us and keeps us from approaching Jesus. Our poverty of trust or politeness, cloaked in cowering, We assemble Sunday by Sunday watching the gospel parade go by, never once raising our voices or our expectation that anything could uncloak us and put a spring into our lethargic worship. Perhaps we are so acquiescent because we fear the other who would tell us to be quiet and not make a fuss. And thank God for this bold, boisterous, blind beggar, Bartimaeus. First, Like Bart, we must acknowledge our blind and poor state, how much we are in need in our lives. Then we must ask ourselves, why do we not shout all the more? Why do we not shout all the more of God's mercy, His grace? Why do we not shout all the more of His help? Why do we not shout all the more for God's presence and wisdom in our lives? Why? Probably because we're too proud. Because we are too dependent on ourselves. Because we live in fear and anxiety of the things that are not in our control, but yet we try to squeeze it and control it ourselves. It's probably because we think we can do it ourselves. Probably because we think we're greater than God himself. We think we're not blind. We think we don't have to beg. And yet what we see through this story is that God is telling us, every one of you, 
needs my mercy. Every one of you is blind to see the things that I see, to see the things that are in my heart. Therefore, you become beggars. But what do we beg for? Bart not only stops Jesus in his journey, he also elicits an interesting but profound question back from Jesus. Jesus asks, So, now you're here. I see that you're blind. I see that you're a beggar. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Hello, blind beggar. Isn't it obvious what Bart would want? Money? To be able to physically see? I mean, clearly it's obvious what Bart is there for. But perhaps not. Sometimes we call out to Jesus wanting only small, some small alleviation of our discomfort. Small dreams to come true. But without wanting complete, revolutionary transformation in our lives. We look at the immediate needs. And we say, God, what about this? Can you fill this hole? And we don't pray for it. We don't ask for something bigger and grand that are everlasting in our life. That is why Jesus checks and asks what seems to be an obvious question. Uncloaked and springing, Bart wants the real change. He wants more than money. He wants more than just physical sight. He wants life. He wants to see the things that God sees. He wants to see from God's perspective. And therefore, when Jesus asks Bart, what do you want me to do for you? Did he notice the interesting detail in his request here in Luke 18? How does he respond? He says, Lord, I want to see. When you look at that phrase, it's interesting because he's not just saying, I want to physically just see you. He didn't ask for money. I want to see you. Assumes that Bart knew what he really needed. Not just physically be able to see or money that perhaps he's been begging for every day, but he knew that he was in presence of son of David, the Messiah, the Savior, the healer, that if he asked, I want to see, saying, assumed, I want to see you. I want to see you. You for who you are. Change my entire life around. That I no longer have to beg. That no longer I have to ask for others. No longer I have to depend on these people or things of this world, but I can depend just on you, God. I want to see you for who you are, and that will change and transform my entire life. Among all the things he could have asked for, Bart asked to see Jesus. I wonder what would happen in our lives if we live our lives with this boldness and insightfulness that Bart had. What would happen in our lives if we first and foremost ask God to help us to see Him? Lord, have mercy on us and help us to see you. Lord, have mercy on us. Help us to see you. Lord, have mercy on us and help us to see you because that will be enough in our life. Bart was physically blind, but spiritually saw what was really needed in his life. Therefore, he was physically blind, 
but perhaps he was very insightful. Midst of rejection and rebuke, he stands up and he yelled all the more, crying out for God's mercy, crying out for God's presence. Bart was physically blind, but he still had sight on Jesus, and that's all we needed. You know, some of you I know personally, um, just in life, we meet, talk. Some of you are leadership, so some of you I see you for counseling. I know, we're all going through stuff. Miserable stuff, dirty stuff, difficult stuff, messy stuff. In those moments, I hope that we can be more like Bart. Admit our dependency on the Lord and His mercy and yell all the more for help. Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? This is a rather intriguing big question that Jesus asked. In fact, only a couple chapters before in Luke, he asked the same question in the exact same phrase. What do you want me to do for you? And that time, he asked his disciples. Response? Disciples started fighting with each other. Why? When he asked his disciples, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do for you? They answered, God, I want to sit at the right hand of your throne. When you overtake this empire, the Roman Empire, you become the king. I want wealth. I want power. I want authority. I want to stop on those who laughed at me. I want to take over people who laughed at me and mocked me. I want to show them I have wealth and money and power now. I want to rule next to you. And disciples start fighting. See, these disciples physically saw. They even saw what Jesus did every day. They lived with him. And yet they were blind. But what we see in blind Bart is he's physically blind and yet he's so insightful because he understands truly, I think, just invoked in him when he met God what God wants him to see. That Jesus Christ is enough. That his mercy is enough. That if you call out his name and you see him face to face and you continually yell out all the more when we're frustrated, when we hit that wall, when we've asked God, God, this, this, that, and God's not answering, when God seems silent, when we get the things from the God response and, and we say, that, that's not what I wanted, God. God says, ask me all the more. Hold on to me. Because I'm all you need. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. And this is the thing. We need to desire and seek God's vision. For Him to give us insight into what He sees. And once we get to do, get a glimpse of it, it's very difficult to unsee what He has shown us. We may be blind, but we can be insightful. Now, two weeks ago, there was a guest speaker at church. I know some of you guys missed it, but if you did, hopefully you can listen to it in the podcast. Powerful testimony. This man named SK. I couldn't help but to think about him. And I don't know why this Luke 18, Mark 10 story of blind beggar 
came into my heart. But as I was preparing for the past two weeks, I could not help but to keep going back and thinking about SK. SK is, he told his story two weeks ago here. He uh, is a co-founder of this ministry called Yana, You Are Not Alone. But if you listen to his journey, his life story, before the age of 10, he became blind himself. He, cannot, he, he can't see 100% left or right eye. The miserable stories that he's told about, you know, the agony and pain, the financial burden that his parents went through, agony and pain that he went through just being strapped into a hospital bed and he cannot see and knowing that there's nothing he could do. Living the rest of his teenage life and adult life not being able to see. And yet it's amazing that as God's grace and love enters his life, God gives him a way out and through a missionary's family, he gets sent away to the States and now he has a job, he has a great education and now he gives back. And when I think about SK and what he's doing with You Are Not Alone ministry of supporting those unwanted children, sometimes orphans, sometimes financially challenged children and trying to find them host families here in the U.S. and giving them a, a, a different opportunity and he himself adopted a child. I see a man who is blind Bart of today. Somebody who's physically blind, but is insightful. Sees the heart of God and what God wants. Asks and yells and screams all the more when everybody tells him, you're blind. You can't do much. You're poor. You didn't come from an educated family. You're adopted. And yet, he rises and he sees God's heart and he does this amazing ministry. I hope we can learn from men like SK and men like this blind Bart, Bartimaeus that we see in today's story. Will you scream and yell all the more for God's glory in your life? Stop asking for the tiny little stuff. Ask for the big stuff. Things that you, you know that just by yourself you can hope for and imagine and it's even beyond that. That's what God has. Because it's beyond us. Way above us. Knows about us way more than us. So I want to ask congregation, will you pray with me this morning? Will you bow your heads and pray with us? From God's perspective, it's more important that we spiritually see his heart and act on it. May we continually ask for his mercy and ask him to help us see him. At this time, I want to ask, is there something that you've been struggling with, aspect in your life that you feel like you really haven't asked God? You haven't fully depended on the Lord? There's something that are not going right or some things that you really desire in your life? Let's ask God. Will you lay down your burden and just pray with me this morning? Let us pray.
I also want to challenge our church to pray with me. For those of you who've been asking, who've been depending, who've been calling out to God, and you feel like God's not answering, or you feel like God's giving you something else than what you wanted, can I challenge us to hold on to God a little longer, a little bit more, and call out to Him all the more so that He will show us what's really needed in our life? Let us pray.